0: is now being recorded all right excellent um, let's see give me a second I gotta... all right we're joined again by spaghetti and meatballs favorite Jim Pinto Jim how are you doing today
1: I'm good I just had Mexican food so I'm happy
0: Excellent. Uh, do they have good Mexican food in Seattle?
1: They don't, but there's a great place here uh, within walking distance to my house. They don't take anything but cash. They don't speak English. So you know it's going to be good.
0: Nice. Yeah, no, uh, my wife and I, we if we see a place that's a little bit run down, we always know it's going to have better food.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. The <laughs> crappier
0: the signs, the better the food. Absolutely, because that's where they put all their money. They don't, they don't put it into the look. <laughs> yes, exactly. Uh, so you've been very, very busy. Um, I've been keeping track of you on the Facebooks, and uh, it seems like you sleep maybe five minutes a day and are doing nothing but designing and typing the rest of the time. I have been up
1: now 26 hours.
0: (laughs) How's that going for you?
1: I'm fine, actually. I was was loosening a little bit during lunch, but I'm fine now. I'm home.
0: Okay. That's good. That's good. So uh, why don't you share with everybody – uh, the things you've been working on. I know that you were still, you set up the dollar RPG. You also have a uh, carcass and then there's Praxis.
1: Yeah. Praxis just, on? just came out of nowhere. Um, it's been in my head for a while. Ever since I did protocol, I knew I wanted to do a more character centric version of protocol, which is what Praxis is becoming. But all of a sudden, just all the ideas of how it would work came together and I just started typing and the okay. next thing i knew i i had 5 games in the series
0: so. so uh for the people who don't know can you give a brief description of what protocol is
1: yeah protocol is my answer to all of the story games that are out there there's all these sort of disjointed and sometimes they don't work story games or there's ones with just poorly poorly handled frame scene framing Protocols, essentially that's why it's called protocol. Um, There's these poorly handled scene framing protocols like uh, Durance, for instance, or Fiasco. Don't really, the rules aren't written well, in my opinion, um, and or they don't produce the results that I wanted to see in story games. So what I did with the protocol system, and there's 65 games in the protocol system. They all use the same central mechanic of four different kinds of scenes and there's specific rules on how to run those scenes and they're not there to create meaningless stricture. they're there to guide the players so they're not wasting their time thinking about what kind of scene they want to do and who they want to have in it the the rules are telling you right now this is exactly the kind of scene you have to do and then it gives you prompts and ideas so that you're not wasting 10 minutes thinking about what you want the scene to be about and you're not wasting 45 minutes coming up with characters in the setup. Everything's ready to go. You can play in two hours.
0: Excellent. That sounds right up my alley because I don't have a lot of time right now to be yeah, yeah, per, Desi- yeah. designing characters and looking up 50 different reference books. and Yeah, uh, no, and I mean, with...
1: protocols are 20 pages.
0: Excellent. And then with Praxis, how much can you share with people at this point?
1: I can share everything. Uh, the the Kickstarter is probably going to happen in the next month. Uh, I'm just waiting for art at this point. I'm done with five games. Um, The idea is I'm taking the logic of those scene framing styles, but I'm putting all the power back in the hands of players who know what they're doing. So you have a list of scenes in front of you on your character sheet and every character class in the game. There's six character classes in every game. Each each one has its own style and vibe to it. So it'll have a list of uh, scene types you can do, but you decide when you want to do them. Um, and then you'll have individual powers and you'll have individual relationships and individual objectives and individual quirks. And then the most important, the biggest meat of the game are the milestones and the trepidation. And those form how your, your narrative will come, come together. So those, those milestones are things that you're shooting to accomplish. And the trepidation is the bad stuff that happens to you when those milestones aren't hit.
0: Okay. And how did those things come up in the game?
1: In the design of the game or in the play of the
0: game? In the play of the game.
1: Yeah. In the play of the game, the way it works is I want to check off all five of my milestones so that I can be the one that tells this finale of the story. So you're pushing, you create a scene about the thing that you want to do, and then you have to at some point do it in the scene and then roll dice to successfully check it off your your uh, your 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 character sheet. So there's there lies the risk of the narrative. You're not you're not succeeding or failing. What you're doing is you're either checking off a milestone or you're checking off a trepidation. Because if you don't roll high enough, if you don't do invest enough dramatic authority into that situation, you're not gonna roll enough dice, you're not gonna succeed. And then Um, you're not going to roll high enough, you're not going to succeed, and you're not going to get your milestone. Instead, you're going to get trepidation, and the trepidation is something bad that happens to you in the story. And you get to pick from one of the five, but in most cases, one of them is death, so you're probably going to hold off on that one until the end.
0: (laughs) Okay, and so based on whatever character you have, whatever attributes you have, you might be more inclined to pick uh, trepidation one over trepidation three. Right. Because you you, you, you feel like you might have a better shot at it.
1: Uh, well, mile, you might want to shoot for a different milestone than trepidation. Trepidation is the bad thing that happens when you fail. Um, so you're, you're going to choose the trepidation that is going to hurt you the least in this instance or that right. makes the most story sense in this instance. If you didn't get into a fight, choosing concussion may not make a lot of sense and you're going to have to do a lot of work to explain why you chose concussion.
0: Okay. And then you still have the same choices for milestone. And then, so that will be, you're like, oh, I'm this kind of character. I have this kind of thing. So that milestone makes the most sense for me.
1: Uh, every character class has their own unique milestones and their own unique trepidations.
0: So okay. they all, so the character class
1: that you're picking, let's say you want to be the pilot in the sci-fi game, you're going to have usurp authority as one of your milestones. But the, uh, the, the, the analyst is going to have to, is going to have a milestone of make sense of it all. As one of his or her milestones. And there's, there's five on each one, so I, I won't go through all of them because that would be a boring podcast <laughs> here. But, um, uh, you can see that each character has their own thing going on. And in the case of the science fiction one, these are very, these are very dark. They're not very dark characters. That's unfair because dark to just immediately paints it into a corner. But these are rich characters with, with backgrounds and histories and things that have gone on in their lives, and this mission is bringing it all up. What's happening to them in this last mission is is forcing them to deal with these problems that have happened to them in the past, which is a very different game than if you sit down and you play King of Storms, which is the one about being a god. The stories that go on in that one are much bigger and more dramatic and more forceful because you're trying to be the king of all the gods in King of Storms. So the stories and the milestones and the trepidations that go on in that one are very different, even though it's using the same core mechanic.
0: Right, because the whole setup is different. And I think you brought up something really good because you corrected yourself and said, "Dark, you're like no rich." And I think that <laughs> oftentimes when people are creating uh, either stories or characters or worlds, they rely too much on dark as a substitute for character for background. There's a, a mistaken perception that Dark and broody automatically equals deep and character-driven.
1: Right, right. And what it is, dark is a tone. It's not a – it's not substance. It's just a way of doing things. And if you look at Batman versus Superman, that's Zack Snyder's biggest mistake, is that he lets the tone of dark replace substance. There is no other substance in the film because there's nothing there except – you know, two guys going through their paces and all of a sudden they're fighting. Right. And, and so if you, if you don't have those, and there's a whole section of the book talking about how to make three dimensional characters, how to answer the questions in a way that's going to lead to rich story. These books, the Praxis books are much bigger than the Protocol books. This is a much deeper game. It may play in about the same amount of time, only three hours, maybe four if you stretch it out, but um, you're going to get a much richer experience just by the way that the, the character sheets are are handled. Your world-building questions are right on there, and every character class has different world-building questions.
0: Excellent. And you said there are five different books you have that are done already?
1: There's five different ones that are done already. I'm, I'm just waiting for the art to drop them in, and then I'm going to launch the Kickstarter. I don't want to do the Kickstarter until everything is done so that people are getting their rewards as soon as it hits. And I've even got extra art for stretch goals. I've even got extra character classes ready to go that I can put into the books or put into the PDFs for uh, for backers. So I've planned ahead on this one, despite I've only been working on it two months. Um, <laughs> and it wasn't, like I said, it wasn't planned. I didn't intend to make this part of 2016, but I it just took a hold and I couldn't stop writing.
0: So what initiated that? What got you started on it? Uh,
1: really, really, can I say shitty?
0: Sure. Really,
1: really shitty Apocalypse World hacks are what really finally put me over the edge and made me say, it's time to do this. Apocalypse World is a fantastic game, and I cannot say enough good things about what it offers to the indie game movement. What I cannot stand is when people assume that that dice mechanic works for everything, and they immediately hack it and put some other veneer on it, and it doesn't make sense. There's a few games that have done it well and there's a lot of games that have done it wrong. And I saw just one too many and I said, Okay, this idea for practice has been in my head, it's just time to sit down and do it. I'm tired of arguing and fighting. And the one that I sat down writing first isn't even finished. Yeah, it got pushed to the side while I worked on these other five. The one I was doing first has no market value at all to anybody but me. So <laughs> I don't I, I realize that if I put this out as a kickstarter it'll make 50 bucks
0: okay uh, is it something that you would do as like an add-on or a stretch goal yeah
1: it'll eventually get done absolutely i mean i've already started okay. writing it and I've, i made a logo for it and everything it's just at this point i didn't finish it and i didn't order any art for it because i knew nobody else was going to like it but me
0: do you want to share what it is or you you want to hold on um, to that for now
1: i'm going to hold on to it for a little while i tried doing it as a protocol and it didn't really work as a protocol either um, so I want to, I want to wait till it's perfect. I want to, before I talk okay. about it.
0: All right. No, that's good. Um, and so with the five books, it sounds like there are different settings, different worlds. Is that correct?
1: Yeah, 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 yeah. They're all very different. The very first one is King of Storms, and that's where you're the descendant of God trying to ascend to the throne of heaven. The second one is called The Lambs. It'll only be available through the Kickstarter. I'm never going to release it to anybody else. So if people want to get it, they have to get it then. Because the topic is kind of weird and may, may be offensive, you're playing people that have sort of been touched by God, and it could be any God. It doesn't have to be the Christian God. It can be any God. But you're all part of the same church group, and you're sort of you sort of have convinced yourselves that your your Americas are the world's best chance at salvation, and so you take things a little too far, and you. In this climate, in today's climate, I thought it was very appropriate because of, the, sort of the, the polarity that we're living in right now. What I didn't want to do with the game is make a joke out of the subject. So it is it is extremely real and meaningful and rich. And I think if, I even write in there, I'm not making fun, and it's very easy for people to be cynical about it. I wanted to examine this from the other side's perspective. I'm not a religious person. But I didn't want to disrespect somebody's faith. What I wanted to do was examine what happens when faith gets taken too far.
0: Right. And I appreciate that, that you're taking it seriously, because I have seen a fair amount of Kickstarter projects lately that are dealing with the current political climate in in nothing but uh, a joking manner. And there's a place for that, for sure. I definitely think there's a place for that. Um, But that's been all I've seen.
1: I think it's very easy to to go to a jokey place when things are touchy like that. I made a board game called 100 AD. It's a political board game. And one of my marketing points about it when I sold it was, look, everybody always makes jokey or cynical political games. Nobody ever makes serious power struggle political games. And that's what this is. And so I, I think I always come from a serious place when I design. I mean, I can make funny games, and I've done that. But I usually come from a serious place because I want to respect and examine the thing, whatever the thing is. I want to, I want to seriously examine it instead of making fun of it.
0: So after that, what's the other book?
1: Uh, the or third book in the first? series is the sci-fi one that I was talking about. It's the search and rec- rescue story. It's called Odin's Eye. Um, the next one after that is um, The Black Monk, and that's this weird fantasy story where these people are immortal and they're stuck in this world where time doesn't really move and the black monk occasionally visits them but he hasn't been there for a long time and they don't know what's going on and they're sort of expecting that when he shows up one of them is going to die and all the character classes are weird and it it plays like a surrealistic almost Neil Gaiman look at fantasy I tried to sort of steal from Sandman a little bit when I, when I was writing it
0: Okay, I'm sorry, for a second, I thought you said Neil Diamond.
1: <laughs>
0: like, no. I think, I think everybody has pronounce... a unique view of sci-fi.
1: <laughs> I think everybody pronounces Neil Gaiman, and I always yeah, yeah, pronounce I... it Gaiman, so I'm just stuck pronouncing it Gaiman, because yeah, before no, I learned no, okay. how to pronounce it.
0: Yeah, no, but I do think we should contact Neil Diamond and see what his take on it. Was. Yeah,
1: yeah, absolutely. I, I <laughs> wish I could remember one of his songs right now. I would have made a joke, but I can't. Mandy? No, <laughs> that was it. Barry Manilow. That's
0: Barry Manilow. He's good, too. He's good, too. (laughs) Yeah, I just don't really care what he
1: thinks about my game.
0: Uh, And then what else do you have?
1: And then the last one is called Of the Flesh, and it's a virus. A virus hits the the world, and some people turn into semi-undead things, but they're still sentient. They're aware that their bodies are corroding and decaying, and they're trying to get back to humanity. They're trying to get the cure for what they're going through. But in the meantime, they're, you know, essentially living like they're undead
0: that's an interesting take where you have i mean where you have undead but they're not mindless things to be killed and avoided right they have agency right in that world and that
1: that one has played the best so far with strangers i oh really for whatever yeah for whatever reason when i've play tested these that one people have grokked the fastest which i appreciate
0: as far as the concept or the way it plays, uh, all
1: of it, all of it. it we 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 okay. played just a couple weeks ago, and it was the best practice story I've told yet. So um, it might have been the group, it might have been the right timing, whatever it was. We just we just told a hell of a story with it.
0: That's excellent. And um, so you're, you said probably in about a month you'll have all this for Kickstarter, right?
1: Yeah, hopefully sooner. Um, I mean, I'm just waiting on two people's art now at this point. Um and I've seen sketches for nearly everything except Odin's eye. So um yeah, it's just a matter of time.
0: And do you know how much you know what what levels you're gonna have, different reward levels?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah I've already built the Kickstarter page and everything. Um I can send you a link if you want to see it. Um for the I preview love page. To. But yeah, it'll range everywhere from nine dollars up to a thousand actually. And for a thousand oh, I'll wow. make a unique prax for a thousand dollars I'll make a unique praxis just for you. Nobody else will ever have a copy. You will have your the only book. You will have the one-of-a-kind practice game for you. Wow. Sort of like a Wu-Tang Clan, whatever that album was. They did, but right, they only the, did one copy of.
0: Sold for a million or whatever.
1: Yeah, so whatever they sold it Maybe
0: you're undervaluing yourself. You should put it at a million. I
1: probably no. am undervaluing myself, but I really <laughs> like the idea of doing that for somebody. And yeah. so um, I, I want, if I make it 5000 nobody's going to buy it. So at 1000 I think it's, reasonably priced for somebody to get a one of a kind game.
0: Yeah, no, excellent. And so uh what's the nine dollar value then?
1: the so nine dollar value is you just get one PDF.
0: Okay. So that's and that's one of the things I really like about uh your other Kickstarters I've backed is that there there has always been an entry level that's like, here's everything you need. It's a PDF and if you want more than that, then you just up it and you can get like the next best right. looking thing. Right. Um and I do want to back up because you'd mentioned, uh, 100 AD. Yeah. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where that is and what its history has been.
1: Oh, yeah. So 100 AD was, a. it started as a political game. I was just making a political game and then we put a Roman skin on it. Um, but I made it five, six years ago and slowly, but surely over time I just kept refining it and refining it and pull it out every once in a while and I would refine it a little bit more. And then I just, Kind of shelved it, and I didn't even think about it. And then when we were doing all the Soul stuff with uh, Torn Armor and Dice Crawl and the Cairn, I said, well, I've got this political game It's just sitting around doing nothing. It comes with 360 cards. What do you guys think of that? And everybody went crazy. Oh, my God, we can put a Roman skin on it. And so we started doing that, and then that Kickstarter fell apart for reasons I don't want to go into here, but if you go online, you can find out what they were. Um but gray Matter games is a new company. they bought it off of me they're going to publish it um there are some There are a pair of guys that I met at Gen con that really enjoyed it when they played it and they wanted it They wanted the game they 've never made a game before, so this will be their first release um i'm expecting it to come out early next year.
0: excellent. yeah, because I remember I was really disappointed. I originally had seen a prototype of it at Game Storm, not last year but the year before, right I believe. Uh, or not this year, but the year before. It's been a long year. Yes. Yeah. (laughs) And I was like, wow, that looks exciting. Then I was really excited when I saw the Kickstarter initially come up, and then it disappeared. But um, just from the little bit that I was able to take a look at it, at GameStorm and the brief period when it was online, it's like, this is a game I really want to get and really want to check out. So I'm glad that it's going to get made.
1: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Unless they, you know, and they've got – they think they have four years according to the contract to get it out, but they want to get it out soon. They're they're doing the the marketing circuit and going to conventions with it now, and so I expect them to. I they don't talk to me all the time, but I expect them to kickstart it soon.
0: Nice. And uh, have they done other games that people might know?
1: No, no. This the is first their first product. This first is their product. first product. Okay. Yeah.
0: yeah. Gotcha. And then um, speaking of other kickstarters, there's gondola.
1: Gondola is now, going is that on right now. One yeah. You designed? That's, That's one, one I designed. I designed. And Big Kid Games is publishing that. Uh, Jason Jason Mohan or Mohan, I don't know how you Boygan? I don't know how you pronounce his name actually. Um, but Jason <laughs> bought it from me, uh, and they're kickstarting it right now. Um, it's halfway to its goal, and it's only been up a less than a week, I guess. So um, not bad for a first-time company, I guess.
0: Actually, I'm glad that it has more time. I have to wait till payday. So. Uh- <laughs>
1: Well, they don't charge you until 30 days is up anyway. I, I love it when people say, I can't right. pledge until 10 days. It does not matter. You will not get charged until the month is up.
0: That's true. That's true. I always forget that. So <laughs> for, for other people in my situation, go ahead and uh, check out Gondola. It's on Facebook. It's also on the Kickstarter already, as Jim said. And uh, go ahead and pledge, even if you don't have the money. Uh, yes, exactly. Can I ask you about SoulJar? Is that something yeah, that you're I, I, I don't about?
1: know. Uh, Yeah, I don't really know that I have any information. I think, you know, we're all at the moment taking a break until we figure out what we want to do with it. Um, You know, the trolls that were following us on the previous Gondola Kickstarter sort of took the wind out of all of our sails. And that's probably pretty public. I mean, you can go and look at that Kickstarter. I'm not telling anybody anything that they can't figure out on their own.
0: Yeah, and I, yeah, and we don't have to go into too much detail about that specific incident, but yeah, like you said, if people look it up, they can find the information. But yeah, I was just, uh, I was, you know, wondering if, uh, Soldier had disbanded or if you were on hiatus. We
1: haven't Soldier made anything like official. It. We haven't made anything official yet. And, you know, I'm giving Melissa and Jack their space and their time to consider what they want to do. I'm, we're not, nothing's been announced. As far as I'm concerned, I'm still working and I'm still doing things. Still have dice crawl to sell. We still have copies of that left, so, you know, we're here, yeah, and, and like I said, I'm developing. I'm still working on future projects, so it's just – it's a matter of time as to what's going to happen. I wish I had better news or more concrete news, but
0: – but So you guys are still selling Dice Crawl, which is a Spaghetti and Eagles favorite, and then do you still have the expansion available as well?
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you can – well, you can usually buy them at your game store, uh, ACD or Alliance, one of the two. I forget who our distributor is. They carry it. And most game stores can pick it up. They can order it if they don't have it. Um, and if you can't get it there, just find me on Facebook and contact me, and I can get you a copy.
0: Excellent. Okay. Because, yeah, I mean, it's such a fun game. We do have our dungeon special that we did where we feature Dice Crawl. And, yeah. Uh, yeah. one of the things I love is that it, the gameplay completely changes depending on what you feel your target is. If your target is just to get to the dragon, that change. At the center, that makes it play one way. If your goal is to take up as much space as possible, that plays different. If your goal is to just destroy your other opponent and make them not be able to get any property or space, it plays different, and it's a simple setup, um, but allows for a lot of different ways to play it.
1: I, um, I really lucked out with that design. When I originally designed it, there were no powers or abilities in it. It was just roll, dice, and match, and it didn't have any dynamism to it. It was kind of boring. It was Yahtzee essentially, and so when I came up with the idea for powers for races uh, and give you know different things that they could unlock, that's really when the game took off. You know, I think I just lucked into that, that it worked. And the very first playtest I did in public with people, everybody was enjoying it, kids and adults. So I knew I was onto something, even though it's not, it's not my standard kind of game design. It's it's a little too simple, in my opinion. But the all the powers that you can unlock, that's where that's where the dynamic of the game comes from and all the strategy.
0: Yeah. And, yes, yeah, I mean, the first time we played it, we were like, we have to have this game. So that's, I'm glad that it's still available. That's excellent. Uh, where are things for you with the dollar RPG and carcass?
1: Uh, carcass, I'm still waiting on some art, and I'm still going through and editing the, the document. It's not perfect yet, and I want to make the character classes all perfect before I release it. So, you know, maybe a couple more months. Uh, The dollar one, I I made an update on the Kickstarter page saying people probably wouldn't see it until the end of the year. Because the mechanics from Carcass are going to go into the dollar RPG, I wanted to make sure Carcass was done right so I can just put it in. And then I've been slowly building things like magical spells and locations and people, and I ordered a bunch of art for the $1 RPG. So it's moving along. I would be wasting money at this point if I didn't finish it.
0: Right. <laughs> well, and I mean that's still a pretty good turnaround, I think. Less for, than a year to make a for my. Well, I pay a dollar, and you know, then you spend a year working on a thing that I still get, even though I've only paid a dollar, and you put a year's right. work into it. So yeah. I think that's uh, well, that aggressive. was
1: that was my intention, and you got something like twenty dollars worth of free PDFs too already. So. Yeah,
0: guess, even if you never got yes, the game, I got the, and I got the soundtrack. Yeah. Uh, there was the music download. So, I mean, yeah, I've, I've already gotten way more than my dollars <laughs> worth. Yeah. Uh, and I haven't even received the actual product yet.
1: So, but I think and, that's a good reward for people that risked. Uh, the the fact that not everybody in the industry risked a dollar on this project is a little, I want to say stupid, mm-hmm. because because it was only a dollar. I was only asking for a dollar. It was supposed to be fun. It was supposed to be a fun project. And there are still people out there that didn't want to cough up one dollar to be involved with it, so the people that did the fourteen hundred and ninety nine by the way was exactly fourteen hundred and ninety nine people because wow. we were you guys were going to get something special at fifteen hundred and you couldn't get that last one and I, we all laughed when it happened. the <laughs> fact that only fourteen hundred and ninety nine people out of a hobby this big gave me a dollar or more. Some people gave a lot more. those people deserve to be rewarded for having the, the bravery, I guess, to cough up a dollar at a, to risk on a game they didn't even know what they were going to get.
0: Yeah. Well, and that yeah, that, I mean, that was the other thing that I actually loved that made me want to do it even more was that there was no concept. There was nothing finished. There was nothing done. It was all open.
1: Yeah, I couldn't even uh, put a piece of art onto the the page because that would somehow influence what kind of game I ended up making.
0: Right. Exactly. Exactly. So yeah, the the, um, the page
1: had to be conceptless, if that's a word.
0: <laughs> it, it is now. It is now. It'll be on the internet now. So
1: it's yay! I'm a writer.
0: <laughs> well, and there was something else you and I had been messaging back and forth about that it can be game related, but it's really just culture related. Uh, if we could talk about people and their egos getting caught up in their interests and their yeah, emotions. and I, yeah. Um,
1: this this happens all the time, right? If you follow me on Facebook, you know I'm opinionated. You know I'm vocal about my opinions. I'm honest. I never hold back about what I, ha- what I think of a thing. And if I'm saying, and I'll use Star Wars 7 as an example, I thought Star Wars 7 was boring. I don't think it was good. I don't think it was bad. I think it was boring. And I think that's the worst thing that you can be. And so if I go out there and I say Star Wars 7 is boring and somebody else loves it, They think I'm attacking them because I don't like the movie they like. And everybody's free to like what they want to like, but our egos get so wrapped up in our identity that, oh, I'm a Star Wars fan, so therefore you can't trash Star Wars. And this leads to bigger problems about how we even discuss what is an objective good, what is the actual ingredients that are qualitative and quantitative inside Star Wars 7, for instance. Or I could make fun of Shadowrun, or I could make fun of Werewolf. I could mock any of these games out there that I don't really think are games, but that are really popular still, people continue to play, like Splendor. I think Splendor's awful, but people continue to play it, and that's fine. If they're getting fun out of it, great. But if I say it's awful or it's not a game, that's not an attack on you. It's an attack on the designer. He should be allowed to get upset. But I don't think Splendor fans should be allowed to get upset, and there's – It's almost – I don't want to say it's emotionally immature because we all do it. We do get invested in our sacred cows, but we now have so many sacred cows because geekdom is so big. Everything's a sacred cow to somebody. Somebody is going to take your perceptions of the thing they love in the wrong way. I think cosplay is stupid. I would never do cosplay. I do not get it. I think it's the dumbest waste of time that's out there. However – I don't go around putting up laws and signs that say, stop cosplaying. And even when I do see good cosplay, I stop and acknowledge it and say, well, you know what? That is a hell of a costume. Somebody put a lot of work into that, and I respect the effort, but I still think it's dumb to go outside in your pajamas.
0: (laughs) Uh, Are you a fan of Halloween at all?
1: Not really. I, I didn't grow up doing Halloween, and so it doesn't mean anything to me. But I I don't go around putting up signs, go away, kids. I put out candy. I don't indulge in the activity. But if somebody's going to come to my door, I'm not going to make fun of a 6-year-old kid or a 20-year-old kid coming to my door in a Chewbacca costume.
0: All right. So all of you young adults who are 18 and older, go to Jim's house. That's the only place you can still dress up and get candy. Everybody else will laugh at you. (laughs) Everyone else. I've tried.
1: Everyone will and should. I think Pokemon Go, right, is the the next big thing that people are – Making fun of everyone about. I actually don't care. I don't have a. I don't have a dog in this fight, so I don't care what's going on with uh, with Pokemon Go, and that's that's a that's unique for me to not have an opinion at all about it. I think it's great that some that people have found something they like this much. I don't understand it. I'm not going to do it. I don't want to go get on my phone and meet strangers in the park. There's a reason I stay home and work all the time. <laughs> Is because yeah. I prefer doing that. That's what I love. My passion is gaming. But I'm not going to make fun of somebody for liking Pokemon Go.
0: Yeah, But, but it, I, it's the next have, thing to make fun of. It is. And I have to admit that I play it. My family plays Pokemon Go. And it's actually – the game itself is okay. Like, it's there's nothing special there. What is cool is that there's the sort of augmented reality portion. But what's even better is that uh, one of my sons, who likes to just stay in his room listening to music and drawing all day, which is cool, will actually want to go outside now. And so, um, you know, we can get them outside for an hour, and I think that's cool.
1: Anything like Pokemon Go that is changing how we engage with gaming, because I think that that's the key, is we need to change how we engage with gaming all the time. And the thing that's good about Pokemon Go is even though it probably doesn't even qualify as a game because you're just walking and pushing a button. I haven't played it, so I'm just guessing how it operates. but That probably doesn't – yeah, it probably doesn't qualify on any level as a game or a game of skill or a sport or any of that, despite – the thing it is doing is it's making us engage with gaming in a different way, and I think that's always valuable. Even when it falls flat or we don't learn anything from it, changing how we view gaming is important because otherwise we're still playing D&D in our basement for 40 years playing the same character and we're not learning anything anymore. And yeah. it's those kind of – the word, I guess, is grognard. It's those kind of old traditions about what gaming is that stop us from progressing or exploring new ways of doing it.
0: Absolutely. I don't want to be making uh,
1: protocols and practice in five years. I don't. I want to be moving on to something else. I want to find a new way to approach the hobby in five years. I don't want to keep doing the same thing. But there's a lot of people – better continue to do it the same way. So in that regard, Pokemon Go is good.
0: Yeah, well, and I've been so disappointed in a lot of people my age and my generation seeing them post things, not necessarily about Pokemon Go, but anything where they're like kids today with their whatever. Like, Don't you remember being a kid and someone yeah. saying that same thing to you and how wrong they were? They <laughs> didn't get it, and that's okay. There's always going to be something new, and there should always be something new. Let's keep trying new things out.
1: I, I think one of the reasons, and I'm a Gen X. I've been around a while. I've been working since I was 16. I think if I were to step back and examine why Gen Xers hate millennials so much, it is that we bought into the notion that hard work would lead to money. It would lead to economic rewards. It would lead to promotions. And that turned out to be a lie for 95% of Gen Xers, right? A lot of people don't have the buying power they used, they thought they were going to have. A lot of them still don't own houses. They're watching boomers get handed money or hand over fist. And then you see millennials who figured it out much sooner than we did. And the reason Gen Xers resent millennials so much is that millennials know something that we don't and they figured it out. And we're stuck in this old methodology, and we can't get out of the rut, right? The minute Gen Xers say, oh, I'm not going to work either, and I'm going to, you know, I don't even remember the term I'm thinking of now, but it's the idea that you always have a gig going on on the side, which is what millennials are doing. They're always doing something entrepreneurial. What's that?
0: A side hustle.
1: Yeah, side hustle. That's the phrase. Um, Gen Xers can't afford to take that risk, right? My entire career is a side hustle, but I'm an exception. Right. All I do is work these little gigs that barely pay anything and I barely get by. Luckily, my wife works. But the entire millennial generation has figured out that they're not going to chase after something and sell themselves for this ideal. And that becomes this. This central part of why Gen Xers and millennials don't get along and we're always saying stupid things like that of, you know, I didn't do that kind of thing in my day, my day we did blah, blah, blah. Right. And,
0: well, and I think also in, that Gen Xers tried to do it. Like, like if you read, um, well, the Generation X, the book, the it was people who got educated and went, man, this system is horrible and dropped out. And so the other side of that, right, was that we could be right. educated and we could choose to not participate and still get by. But if we wanted to at any moment, we could just pick up and jump back in there and we'd be fine. And neither of those things works out for everybody. It's like anything. Dropping out and just trying to work at a coffee shop works for some people and completely destroys other people and makes it so that they can never get back to where they were. Right. Um, right. And that there were, we believed we had options and that we could make the choices and decisions ourselves, and it didn't really matter (laughs) at at the end of the day. Right. And I I uh, think.
1: In a lot of ways, millennials are more mature than we were at that age, right? When I was 21, I really wasn't thinking about what the Nentech 10 years were going to be. I was just having fun gaming, working at the game store, going to college, working on my education. Yeah. And I think so in a lot of ways, they are smarter than we were at that age. And in a lot of ways, they look more immature than we did because they have more frivolity than we have or have had ever. And so there's yeah. that resentment. There's that resentment that comes up. And it's you don't take time to examine why that disparity is happening between the generations. You're just always going to be that cranky old man on your lawn. <laughs> or you could be a cranky old woman, I guess, but that doesn't fit yeah. the metaphor as well.
0: Well, and I'm in a grad program for education and I'm the second oldest person in the program. The majority of the people in it are in their twenties and they're, they're people 21, 22, working on a master's of education and already planning on buying a house. Right. I cannot imagine having that mindset when I was 22. Yeah. It was, I'm going to, maybe I'll go to school, but for the most part I'm going to hang out and figure it out. Right. And, you know, 10 years later it's like, oh, I still haven't figured it out, but now it's 10 years later. And so I think you're right that there's, I'm witnessing a lot more planning, a lot more forethought. Going on, yeah, with the millennial generation.
1: Yeah, 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 and yeah, and I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that we weren't required to grow up very quickly in comparison to our parents, and that allowed us to sort of, and that's maybe what kept geekdom alive so long, right? And allowed us to hand off the banner of geekdom to the next generation is we were 20, 22, 25 in college, or out of college and still playing Dungeons and Dragons because we didn't have to grow up that fast. We weren't in a hurry to go get these careers. And with that, we were able to pass on the door. If that hadn't happened, if we'd been forced into a, you know, go off and fight a war or forced into the workforce, who knows how geek them would have turned out.
0: We're it getting is, way I too think,
1: philosophical now.
0: <laughs> well, I was just going to say, I think that that's potentially another game that, you know, that, that, uh, in the 70s or 80s, there's a huge war, right? That prevents right. people from staying after college and playing Dungeons and Dragons or (laughs) arcade games, you know, arcades never happened. um, Right. And then sort of explore that world. I think that would be good.
1: Yeah. Arcade games would have just been a short fad, right? Because there would have been nothing to sustain them. They would have disappeared and people would have gone, Oh, that was clever asteroids. Yeah. I remember that. But, you know,
0: especially if you have a war on the scale of world war two, where you have to take all of the materials that are available every single arcade game is getting recycled <laughs> right right
1: and you have people um, having to reverse engineer what was done by these engineers who aren't around anymore and they're having to just try to figure out how to get back to square one
0: yeah i think i I,
1: I know i know a lot of people didn't like the movie interstellar um and i'm not a fan of nolan all the time but i thought the first half first seven, 75% of interstellar was fantastic I loved that they didn't need engineers anymore, that they needed farmers. That was a nice little touch on what was happening in the world. Um, I think the thing people mostly didn't like about the the movie was they have to make up the science at the end.
0: Well, that whole – yeah. So I loved that movie. I loved the look of it. I loved the feel of it. It felt really too real in the beginning for me. I felt yeah. like that's where we're headed. And then without – I don't know. I don't want to give it away for people, but the MacGuffin, right, the, the thing that happened was – a stupid explanation. The the reason that it, everything gets figured out... Yeah, yeah, yeah. ...for me was stupid, but... Well, it's not just stupid, it's, so
1: it's, it's cliched, right? It's been done before. Yeah. The the MacGuffin has been done before, and that... When you find out... the The science of how they get to it hasn't been done before, but the essential story kernel that they came up with for the explanation at the end, and that happens a lot anymore, I think, because people don't want to take any chances... But for that movie to take as many chances as it did and then at the end just say, oh, yeah, here's where all the messages came from.
0: Yeah. But, no, I think that was a, a – yeah, like he said, 75% of it for 75%, so good. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And, and too real, too real. I was really kind of scared watching it. Well, and
1: I I think, you know, looking at the kind of things that I design, that that's the kind of entertainment I want. I want something rooted in reality. And if I were to sit down and make a science fiction role-playing game, it would probably look a lot like the first 75% of that movie, at least the stuff on Earth. Um, I really enjoyed that I I could understand and and immediately uh, empathize with the situation because I could envision it happening as opposed to having – you know, the first 30 minutes be nothing but exposition of explaining how the world turned out the way it did.
0: Yeah. And I thought they did a really good job, too, of talking about how people's perception of history changes. Right. Specifically when they're talking about the space program. Right. And how it's just I, because, I mean, you're alive right now. You and I have witnessed that kind of thing happen since we were children, even. Right. Um, People's perceptions on what any given entity has or hasn't done. Right.
1: Right. Yeah, I mean, if people are well, still listening, because we've been going a long time, they really should see Seller if they haven't seen it. Essentially, yes, is what yes. we're getting at.
0: And you might enjoy the last 25%, even though... If you, like
1: <laughs> if you like magic. If you like magic, you'll love the last 25%. Yeah,
0: no, absolutely. But yeah, we have gotten off track a little huh? bit, but I think it still all relates. It's all storytelling, right? It's all about uh, storytelling and what, what stories we tell say about ourselves.
1: Well, it's all about me and what I think. So, Brandon, that's well, really that's, what matters. Yeah. That that's, that's all this podcast has been about. Somebody out there thinks yeah. I'm being serious because I'm sure because I've been called an arrogant asshole before because people think when I say things like that, I'm being serious.
0: Yeah, I'm, well, that's uh, uh, one of the dangers of the Internet. So for people who have listened to us before, we've talked to Jim about his online persona, especially with the Kickstarter, um, that it's arrogant, it's, you know, flippant. Right, um, But that people can't always tell that it's a joke. Um, and that's, yeah. that's one of the, the pitfalls of right. the Internet.
1: And I'm not going to change, right? I'm not going to alter that voice, whatever the voice is. I'm not going to alter it simply because 10 people don't get the joke. I, I think that's dishonest. I've been talking about not pandering for a while. When I talk to people about equality in gaming, I think equality in gaming needs to exist. We just need to make sure that it's not pandering. We need to do it authentically. And yes. I think the same thing needs to be true of anything that you're doing if you're in gaming if you're doing it authentically you're going to you're going to enjoy what you're doing more than if you have to lie or you know cater to every whim.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Way to bring it back to gaming. Um and I, I do before we sign off though I did want to touch on something cuz you brought up splendor. Um, which was a game I'd seen online through, oh, I love Splinter, and it looked really great, and we were at the most recent game, Storm, and got a chance to play it, and it's okay. Like, I had fun, and I will play it again if I have the chance, but I don't think I would if it didn't have those tokens that it comes with. Because <laughs> yeah. I, I would say 80% of my enjoyment was just touching those casino-like uh, chips that come with it. Yeah, that are just perfectly weighted and so beautiful and feel nice in your hand.
1: And, and I think that is what turns it from a game into a toy. I think that is when anything, I think it's the success of certain game companies that put a lot of plastic into their boxes to make mm-hmm. it feel like you are getting something more concrete and essentially what you're buying is a toy and you're not buying a game because the game is so thin. Um, and I'm yeah. not naming names. I think everybody knows the people I'm talking about. But I think that you run the risk when you put out something that is razor thin. And I'll use code names as an example, right? Code names isn't really anything. It's a party game where you put names into a hat, and you try to get people to say them. I mean, I cannot believe that it's getting all the accolades it's getting. I'm, either I'm not getting it, I'm not understanding why it's fun, or what people want out of a game has shifted that much that the hobby is becoming party oriented now.
0: Well, it seems like it definitely is. There's a lot of that coming out. But I would say with Codenames, which I have not played, that the two things I've witnessed are it's a great game for non-gamers. Right. Because the people who have talked to me about it a lot are non-gamers. Uh, and then for the gamers who have enjoyed it and talked to me about it, I think it's because it's so light and so different from everything else they do that it doesn't really matter what's there, if that makes sense. That it's just like, oh, this is totally not a thing I do, and so it's new to me, and I kind of enjoy that. Right.
1: I've described it as taboo for hobbyists, because
0: that's essentially what it is. (laughs) Okay. Well, now I feel like I really have to check it out (laughs) with with a, like, negative review. Like, sometimes, you know, somebody's like, oh, this movie is so bad, you shouldn't watch it. It's like, well, now I want to watch it. (laughs) Right, right. Because I need to see what's so bad about it.
1: And you may like it, right? I, I, I can't stress this enough. We're going to go right back to the people identifying their ego with, if you like code names and you're enjoying it, good for you. Just because yeah. I don't like it or just because I think it's bad, it does not mean somebody else should not play it. What that means is is that I have a perspective on it that is different. And maybe if your ego weren't wrapped up in it, you'd actually want to examine it on the level that I'm or the from the lens. I won't even say level because that's elitist. I'm looking at it through a different lens than you are. And maybe that lens has its own value. And I put value in brackets when I say it like that, because we cannot, when your value is different than my value, right? We can both agree that a game is worth $20, but the value we get out of that $20, once we have it in our hands and we're playing it, even if we're playing it together, those values will never match. And so, it's impossible for us to ever agree exactly on what something is. So at the very least, if you hear somebody has an opinion that is negative on something you like, there is value in examining that lens and seeing how they got there instead of immediately assuming, I think you're a bad person for liking code names.
0: Yeah. Or feeling like they called you a bad name. Right. Which seems to be the reaction. And that, that does seem to be the reaction. Somebody says, I hate this movie. And all of the responses are, why did you call me and my mother the most horrible names you could possibly think
1: of? <laughs> right, right, which I didn't do. And by no. the way, I'm really glad Ghostbusters was made. I'm really glad the new Ghostbusters was made. I really am. I have no – I haven't seen the first one, so I don't care if they remake oh, wow. it. And I think it's great We're that they We're going track a, you
0: down in – Yeah, I, yeah I know.
1: I've never, I've never seen Gremlins either. I've never seen Close Encounters the third time. Lots of movies I missed when I was a kid. What I didn't like about the new movie is it just felt empty. And so when I say that, I'm not saying that from a sexist point of view because I want women to have a movie that's all theirs if that's what they want. I I don't care. 700 movies get made in America every year. We can have one that's an all-female cast. It won't shatter anything. We could have 100 that's an all-female cast, and it won't change anything. What I want to see is I want to see us get to a place where, one – That isn't a novelty anymore. It's something that happens and we just get used to it. And two, where they're good. And the more important element is that they are good so that we're not immediately going looking for ways to let those angry little boys in their basements look for excuses to hate an all girl movie. I just, I I was always going to say that. And I think if Ghostbusters had been better, there would have been nothing to complain about.
0: Right. Well, I think people still would have because. People, there were, there are people who are still complaining about it who haven't seen it. Right. right. Um, But uh, I went to see it with my wife and our 12 year old son, and we all absolutely loved it. Like, we had a good time for us, you know, and it's that value thing, right? What am I looking to get out of it? Um, Right. For a family experience with my specific family, it was amazing. It was one of the funniest things we saw. And and, and, but, and anybody
1: hearing me complain about it should it, at the very least understand, one, I have a background in story writing. So I'm always looking at it through a different lens. Two, I've written screenplays. Three, I've won an award for writing screenplays. So at the very least, I'm not an amateur coming to this and saying, well, you know, I don't like the fact that they didn't shoot enough ghosts, so they shot too many ghosts. That's not my complaint. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Well and for the listeners who don't know, Jim's comments online was that it was meh. Yeah. And then that was apparently too strong an opinion for some people.
1: <laughs> yes. My point my opinion was that it was meh. And and the thing that upset me the most, right, is I like all four of those women. I I think they're all funny in their own ways. And for Kate McKinnon to get what everybody is saying the best character to actually have, in my opinion, the most boring character, she did the same thing in four scenes. It was it was so repetitive and so tiresome, and I just felt so bad because I wanted to see her do so well. I love her; she's hilarious, and for her to get the to get the role that hey, I invented something new, and here's some new wacky jargon for me to throw at the audience for the fourth time.
0: Right, and so like, and so that's a problem with the screenwriting and a problem with the movie, but the, for- yeah. the performance was good.
1: Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: And, it, and no, if I people were laughing and they had a
1: good time, yeah, oh yeah, she was amazing as the character. Don't don't misread what I'm saying. I. I love anything yeah. that she does. She could just stand there and sit at a mirror, and I'd I'd still laugh. I think she's hilarious. She's my favorite SNL performer at the moment. But I was so disappointed at what the writer and the director chose to do with, with the work. And I think because my lens is, I have these expectations that movies are going to follow rules and they're going to try to be new and fresh, and they're not just going to go for the easiest route, and that's what movies are becoming, right? Again, Star Wars 7 took the easiest route into the IP that it could by just retelling Episode 4.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And again, with the lens, which is fine for my kid, right? Like, Absolutely. My 12-year-old, uh, he gets to have his own version of Episode 4 now. Yeah. Uh, but for a, People who grew up with it—that's maybe not the best way to go about it,
1: right? Right, and then at some point we have to ask the question: Was Star Wars ever supposed to grow up with us? Right, and that's—we can do another yeah. podcast about that another time. But you know, if, if it was never going to grow up with us, then we have no complaints whatsoever. We can't really yeah. even talk about Star Wars.
0: Well, and one of the things—and um, I'm not—I'm not, I'm not going to say this too bad on the prequels. I don't want to bag on the prequels. Uh, but what I do want to say is that. Watching the prequels, well, first, watching them with my kids makes them better automatically because I see their enjoyment of it. But my lack of enjoyment of the prequels supremely colored my viewings of the original movies after that, and I saw them as less good than I thought they were. It was one of those things where I watched the prequels and then I watched the original trilogy again, and I went, These aren't actually as good as I remember them. <laughs> um, and I don't know if that's going to make people angry, but. You know, I still enjoy them, but I can look at them with a more critical eye and see some of the things where maybe they lucked out in making that kind of movie in that kind of time. You know, when it came out, or I'm not—I'm I'm getting a little muddled, but I just wanted to say that yeah, I don't—I don't appreciate the original trilogy trilogy the way I used to.
1: I, I think that's okay. I don't think that anything <laughs> should stand the test of time. I think if you like something the same exact way. That you did when you were five, you probably aren't growing up.
0: You're still five. <laughs> you're still fucking. You're angry about all, an all woman cast in a Ghostbusters movie.
1: Yes, yes. Well, if you, oh, if, you liked, if you like if you like Star Wars one or Star Wars four the same way you liked it when you were seven, then you probably play Shadowrun. Run. There we go. Bam.
0: Oh, there it is. <laughs> I got
1: I got my Shadow Run joke in.
0: I had to do it. No, I... <laughs> Yeah, I've never played uh, – that's not true. I played – there was a version of Shadowrun on, like, the Sega. That's what I've played. Oh, um, yeah. <laughs> so I don't know I, what that – I, the I didn't know. Like.
1: The funny part is is that I have only played Shadowrun three times. But my all of my experiences with it and everything I've read when I sat down to read it have been so disappointing that it's just a go-to joke at this point, right? There are people that love it. I just think it's stupid. And it's so easy for me to use as a throwaway joke that it's just when Paco and I are on GMS podcast that every week I make fun of it. So (laughs) it's just my go-to now. And so if people are really getting upset about that, they're not – they're missing the
0: joke. Well, maybe I think what we need to do is uh, actually sit down and do a a live play of Shadowrun with you, and you can do commentary as it's going on. Now, this and this is why this sucks.
1: Why do you hate so. me? Why would you do that to me?
0: <laughs> I thought we were friends. Yours. <laughs> yeah, oh, great. Uh, well, Jim, thank you so much for talking to us today. Before we sign off, uh, let's do a recap. Where, where should people be looking and finding out things about you and what you're designing right now?
1: Um, well, I'd rather they just left me alone, to be honest. But if they have <laughs> to track me down, I'm on Facebook usually. I'm on Twitter. I have my own website, Post World Games. I'm on G+, um, but I don't really post there much. So anything post-World Games or anything Jim Pinto, you'll find me um, on the Internet. I'm not on Snapchat. I'm not on Instagram. Um, I wouldn't bother going there. But Facebook is where I am most of the time. Um, it's just all right. where I do business with people, where all my writers and artist friends are on there.
0: And for those not following Jim on Facebook, uh, he does insight into what his design process is. He also does random movie reviews. So, it's definitely worth checking out. Um, and then Gondola is live on Kickstarter, and I'll put links to everything below this on the SoundCloud for everybody. Uh, anything else before we go, Jim? Uh, no, just,
1: you know, don't let anybody tell you how to game. If you're having fun, great. If you're ruining somebody else's fun, stop it. But, I mean, you know, people need to let go of worrying about what other people think about what they're doing. If, if you're playing Pokemon Go, or you're playing Shadowrun, and somebody's making fun of you, and it's me. You know, <laughs> just just know I'm having fun making fun of you, and it's not serious. And I think that's just advice all around. If anybody is trying to hamper your fun, just ignore them. Gaming yeah. is not we're not we're not curing cancer, and there shouldn't be any stress about this. And this goes for all the the trolls out there that are sending death threats to game designers because they're missing deadlines.
0: Oh. Uh. Yeah, that's just its own it. other podcast, right?
1: Yeah, that is its own other podcast, but I couldn't not bring it up now that I've said, you know, just game okay. the way you want to game and have fun. Just don't ruin somebody else's fun.
0: Don't yuck their yum. Don't make death threats.
1: Don't, don't yuck their yum, is that a thing?
0: That's what my that's what my wife says. I oh. I like it. It's a short thing. Don't yuck my yum. <laughs> All right. <laughs>
1: <laughs> this I is why there's you know, no this is why there's no icky girls at my game table. No, I'm
0: I'm
1: kidding. (laughs) There were more women at the last game session than men.
0: I was just going to call you out on that because I I saw that folks. Yeah, yeah. All right, excellent. Well, Jim, thank you again so much. Um, Thanks for everything, and we'll keep everybody updated and hope to check in with you in in a month or two and see where things are then.
1: Thanks for having me again. This was great.